This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We do that by speaking to Italian Americans in all different age ranges, professions, locations, really anywhere. We're looking for Italian Americans anywhere. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me today my co-host, Dolores Alfieri, who's been out a little bit, but you'll be able to catch up with her today. And in this episode, we get to speak again with New York Times bestselling author Adriana Trigiani about her latest book, Kiss Carlo, but not just about the book, also this idea of Italian family feuds, which is kind of a running theme throughout the book. And also I'm going to do a special segment of the show, the story segment, where I'm going to talk a little bit with my brothers, a little bit about the holidays and some of the stress that goes around it and maybe some of the things that cause those family feuds. But before we get to it, Dolores, what's going on? Hey, how are you? You're back in action. <laughs> the laugh, the laugh is back right away. <laughs> yeah, Anthony, thank you for holding down the fort. As you know, I've been, I uh, started a new job that's very heavily based in the Italian American community and it's been a very demanding job. And on top of it, I'm planning my wedding for February. So it's just been a super crazy time and I haven't really just been able to focus on the show. Talking to Adriana felt really great to be back on mic with you talking about the things that mean so much to both of us. Yeah, absolutely. It was a good, another good conversation with Adriana because she has such a connection with the Italian American community and she talks to so many people. She always has such thoughtful things to say about like the traditions and why people think a certain way. And that's yeah. what, that's what she did in this interview. It wasn't just, she wasn't just talking about her book really. Probably that's a small part of the segment. She was really talking a lot about the culture and why people do things and men and women and the differences, which is cool. Cause it's kind of always interesting talking to her, right? Yeah. 100%. She's one of those guests that just has a lot of wisdom. You know, she spends a lot of time reflecting on our culture, our relationships, our heritage, and of course, our, as you said, our motivations, why we do what we do. So it's always terrific to just kind of sit back and let her talk and just listen. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, we've talked to some very famous people on this podcast. There's no doubt about it. But the thing about Adriana, which I, I'll talk to her about, you'll hear in the interview, is that she gets out there and she connects with her readers, Italian Americans, and she talks to them and she talks to them about their families. And she's smart. And she told Dolores and I in the interview, she's getting stories for her next novel when she does that. But also by doing that, she has this amazing feel for the community which is what Dolores and I are always looking to talk about. So we may be able to interview like a baseball star or a sports star, but they might not get as much interaction with the community as someone like Adriana, which I think yeah. makes it cool to talk with her. Well said. So um, the other thing is I wanted to mention again is we are doing an Arthur Avenue food tour with Danielle Oteri of uh, Feast on History. Excited about it. I'll be there for sure. Dolores, maybe or maybe not. We know she's really crazy busy. And when you're planning a wedding, you have to do things 24-7, which we all know about. <laughs> but uh, but I'll be there. I'm really excited about it. It's December 9th. All the details are on ItalianAmericanExperience.com forward slash Arthur Avenue, all lowercase, or just go to ItalianAmericanExperience.com and click on events and you'll see it there. You can register. We're going to go to Casenza's Fish Market and he's going to tell us all about the history of the Seven Fishes Feast. So there, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really interesting and you can make a day out of it and come with your family and eat at Arthur Avenue and just have a good time. And I hope you'll consider doing it. Dolores and I, every time we go there, we just talk about it and it's just, there's so much culture there. And you eat your weight and food. Forget about eating. <laughs> I remember when we went there for our episode and we went to it with David Greco and the first thing he did was he gives us a egg sandwich with meat and eggs and potatoes and everything on it and a glass of wine. <laughs> 
that was that was a nice breakfast. If every day could be like that, Madonna mia. Oh God, that would that'd be good and that'd be bad. But all right, so we're gonna get into the interview now. But before we do that, and before we introduce our guests, we'd like to recognize our two sponsors here, uh, main sponsors for the episode. First, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation. Proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. We also have another sponsor for today's episode, Mediaset Italia, which is now on direct TV from AT&T. Enjoy all your favorite Italian programs from channels Canale 5, Italia 1, and Rete 4 on Mediaset Italia. Bring your love of Italy home. All the latest Italian entertainment, including drama, news, variety, and films. Shows like Caduta Libera, Matino Cinque, and Squadra Antimafia. Feel like you're home again with Mediaset Italia on direct TV from AT&T. Call 877-778-4794 to get Mediaset Italia. Again, that's 877-778-4794. This does require activation of qualifying base package, hardware available separately. Programming is subject to change and other conditions apply. So call for details. And this is a great way to learn Italian or practice your Italian by watching Italian TV shows and movies. It's been very, very helpful for me. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for the main segment today, and she really needs no introduction. She's been on the podcast several times already. Adriana Trigiani is beloved by millions of readers around the world for her best-selling novels, including her latest, Kiss Carlo. She wrote the blockbuster The Shoemaker's Wife, the Big Stone Gap series, the Valentine Trilogy, and Lucia Lucia, and more. Trigiani's themes of love and work, emphasis upon craftsmanship, and family life have brought her legions of fans who call themselves Adriatics, which is a term that was coined by book maven Robin Call. Their devotion has made Adriana one of the reigning queens of women's fiction, according to USA Today. She's just amazing. We've had her on three times now, and I've seen her speak and read from her books, and she's just awesome, and you're going to really enjoy this interview. So to bring you into the interview, I want to give you a quote from the book, Kiss Carlo, just a sentence from it, but it's really powerful. And this takes place back in the 40s in an Italian-American neighborhood. And so this quote will kind of bring back that memory. The quote is as follows, that we looked out for one another, that we watched out for each other's kids and shared the harvest of our gardens and took care of our old people. And when we did the little things like bake a cake, we baked two, one for our home and one for the neighbor. Our interview today with Adriana Trigiani is brought to you by the Holidays app for iOS. You're going to love this one. This is actually an app that was developed by my two brothers, and it's very applicable for Italian-Americans. Do you ever struggle to remember where you celebrated a holiday last year? 
Do you continually argue with family members over Sunday dinner about whose turn it is to host this holiday or that holiday? Well, good news. The Holidays app for iOS is now available for download. When you log in the first time, you'll be prompted to select the holidays that you celebrate, and the app will simply notify you on that particular day to start your holiday and record that special moment. What's cool about this is when I woke up on Thanksgiving morning, the app wished me a happy Thanksgiving and prompted me to start recording the day. I was able to log where I was and who I was with. I added all the photos from the day and then I had the option to share it right on Facebook. It's going to make my life a lot easier next November when we start the planning all over again. Forget about the wasted time looking for photos or old Facebook posts from a year ago. Use this personalized holiday journal, which will always be right at your fingertips. You can sell Celebrate any other custom moment, whether a family wedding, birthday party, or special annual family reunion. Always know where you were and who you were with using the Holidays app on iOS for iPhone. That's Holidays, H-O-L-I-D-A-Z-E. And their slogan, which is great, you celebrate, we'll remember. All right, now we're excited to welcome back on the podcast the wonderful Adriana Trigiani. Adriana, welcome back. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here, Anthony and Dolores. (laughs) Dolores, I I underline that because Dolores is exploring new horizons (laughs) doing the podcast. I sure am. As an author, is exploring his terrain behind the typewriter keys (laughs) and doing the podcast. It's exciting. Yeah, we like to keep ourselves busy, but you know all about that. Yes, I do. Can't help ourselves. How many projects can we take on until we break? Before we're dead. Before they show us, one or the other. But that's the Italian way, kid. Exactly. Get used to it. That is the Italian way. We've talked about that on many episodes, and we've talked with many people that said that there is really no stop for them for whatever Mm -hmm. the reason is. They keep going. They keep hustling. That seems to be a running theme here, but we wanted to have Adriana back on. We haven't talked to her yet about her new book, Kiss Carlo. We want to talk about that a little bit and some of the themes in the book. But before we get into that, Adriana, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is, and people tell this to Dolores and I all the time when they listen to the other episodes with you and they come to see you and I I came to your event, is that you have such a great relationship with your readers. Every person that comes up to you, I feel like you've known them for like 20 years. Mm. And... (laughs) I don't know well, how I you think, do that. I think, I think, Anthony, part of it is it's really important to know why you do something. If you know why you do something, you can plot a path to be the best at it. And I just wanted to be a really, really good writer. And to me, a good writer is someone who can describe the emotions of a landscape, of a culture, who can really describe them, who can create a world that people that read you feel they are a part of. So my job is really a service job to my reader. So the most exciting part to me of writing books is meeting the person that reads them. So when I meet somebody that's excited about a book, then it's mission accomplished. See, and this is something that I've been talking about a lot on the road, and you heard me talk about this. I'm concerned about women. We do the work And then we do not accept the, we don't acknowledge the work we did. We don't say, hey, we did a good job. Or, hey, I actually did that. Or, I did that well. Or, I connected. 
I made that happen. Because in general, we don't care about that. We love the process. In every endeavor in life, women love the process and they don't really care about the prize. And I don't really want to get masculine about that because when I get a prize, it, it makes me very, I weep. And I don't like to weep because then I have to use more wrinkle cream. Um, <laughs> I just like to, you know, you know, put cucumbers on my face. But the reader is everything. So when I go to a book signing, it's gratitude. And it's also, I am also gleaning from her, from each of those people, what it is she wants me to write about next. I'm asking her about that. Because if I'm going to be her entertainment, then I'm going to be the best entertainment she ever got. No, that is great. And the reason I ask you is because I think everything you're saying is great. I also try to do that. And I, even with the podcast, we try to talk to people and we get ideas for mm -hmm. the content and, you know, they're the audience. But you say it to us like it's an easy thing or, you know, it's something that people would do normally. But I just don't think there's a lot of people that take the time on a lot of levels to do it. Because the thing that people don't realize a lot of the time is writing is a lot of work. And when you write as many books as you write, you're constantly working on something. And it takes a lot of, I mean, Dolores and I, I know how much creative energy that takes and to put yourself out there in front of all those people and spend time with them and you take selfies with them and you talk to them for 10 minutes and you ask them about their family and everything. I think it's just wonderful. And I think from a reader's perspective, it's a special thing that you do that. I think it's I think it's just natural to her, though, too. And I think it's like her personality. I'm mean, not to talk about you, Adriana, like you're not here. But <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's just it is original, especially uh, if you're a big reader, as all three of us are. And, you know, a bit about authors. It's a very original approach, especially for an author, because often you hear authors are, you know, they're difficult and they I don't think about my reader. I just I just do the work. They just I put the book out and that's it. A lot of writers are shy. They're very very shy mm. and I'm not a shy person and and that doesn't mean I'm less than because I'm not shy. That's another thing. They think introversion as a writer makes you deep. Right. And I'm just calling well, but... I'm, I'm calling I'm calling BS on that <laughs> any more than being a brunette makes me Italian. And I right. crazy right. talk. People bring their gifts to something. And I don't marginalize, and I guess because I was exactly. raised in the coal fields of Virginia, of Southwest Virginia and the Appalachians, that's the one thing I cannot abide is that snobbism. And it's rampant in the book culture because mm -hmm. people get hoi polloi about it. But the great ones write so we can understand something and that when we understand it, it matters and it touches us. And really, that's my job. That's what I'm trying to do is to illuminate if I'm a good friend or if I'm a good wife or a good mother or whatever role I'm trying to deliver to the person I love in full. It's because I mind those feelings and I think about them and I think about why things are the way they are. And if my novels can plumb those depths, that's my goal when you're using comedy and I say using comedy because you have to decide, you know, when you're telling a story, as in Kiss Carlo, which is an homage to Shakespeare's comedy, you're using all kinds of styles of comedy. And if you're going to use that, you know, people dismiss comedy very often. And comedy became very cruel over the last, I would say, 20 years. Very cruel. And of course, now we find out, well, sure, it became cruel because the puppet masters were cruel. And you find abusive to women behind the scenes and mm. very blatant about it in their material, which I could not listen to. And they present themselves as they are. We all do. 
And I think what's important in, in what I'm saying here is that comedy is, to me, the highest level of communication because it joins us together in such a great way. It melts language away. We, we really are one. There's no divisiveness when everybody's laughing. And it's really not easy to write. I think I agree with you that it can be like often dismissed, you know, that that's something that's a drama is taken more seriously. But for me, like I've written so much and I read my writing sometimes and it's very serious. It's kind of my style. It's heavy. And sometimes I think, I'm a really funny person in real life. Like, I laugh a lot. I make jokes. I'm extremely sarcastic. Where is that in the writing? And it's something that's not easy, you know, to pull off, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of it comes from practice, from writing for actors. But there has to be that gift there. I don't think you can make someone funny. Mm. Um, You know, I've written for everybody. I say that in a funny way. Well, not really everybody, but, you know, a lot. And I had this great fortune of developing a project with B. Arthur. And B. Arthur, the first time I met her, I mean, she told me a lot of things and, you know, wise things. And she said to me, she goes, I'm not funny. I'm an actor. And I, I have timing. Mm. She said, I sit with you and I laugh because you're funny. I'm not funny. Wow. She, thought that that, she knew exactly who she was and exactly what she was doing. But she knew it was about the words. And so she sought writers that could deliver them. Yeah, I have to ask, what did you write for her for? Gonna do, and she ended up doing it, and I didn't write it. But I ended up, I worked with her for a couple months, maybe three months or so, maybe a little longer, with this great writer-director, Charles Randolph Wright. And he brought me in on this project, and then he said, I'll direct it, you write it. And so I developed a bunch of, she was doing a concert, kind of a touring concert at the end of her life. And so she was doing musical numbers and different things, and she was really great. And what I found was she was a very serious person, a contemplative person, and deep and thoughtful, almost philosophical, and could be stern, be stern about the work and and analytical about it. And that was really helpful to me. But, you know, I've had the great fortune of working with Lily Tomlin, who I I say I credit her as like you're getting a Ph.D. in comedy. I had to write one small, when I say small, I'd say it was maybe five minutes, four to to five minute monologue in a comedy special I wrote called Growing Up Funny, and she was nominated for an Emmy. And normally her wife, Jane, writes everything for her, and Jane was busy. So I wrote it. And it was faxes, and I was staying at the Bellage Hotel because I was writing for all these different actresses, and uh, all great ones. But it was Lily who was, I rewrote this piece and rewrote it and rewrote it, And she would say things to me like, you and I think this is funny, but will the audience think this is funny? Or you and I get this reference, will they understand it? And the way she worked with me was in a way that always was about the work. And I can go down the line with comedians and tell you that I learned from them. But if I wasn't, if I didn't have the comedy, and I think you're born with it, then you couldn't get to that next level to write the scripts, to hone the craft, and then get the job. And I don't know how to dissect it. I know it when I see it <laughs> and I and I read it. Or when someone comes up to me and they read the big dinner scene in uh, Kiss Carlo, they go, oh, my gosh, that's my family. Mm. And I say, I know. I was at that same mm-hmm. dinner table. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the great thing. People can relate to it so much. And the other thing along those lines that I found in reading your work, and, and Dolores will appreciate this, is that I've told you this a lot of times, and we talked about in the last podcast, you know, my grandmother, who's 90, you know, introduced me to you by giving me The Shoemaker's Wife. And I know that your readers are a lot of Italian-American women that probably range in age from whatever, 30s and on. And I know that also from coming to see you, that's what the room is pretty much filled with, and then there was me. But the thing that's pretty awesome about that for me in reading your work is their perspective is completely different than mine. So, you know, when I read the book as a, you know, just about 40 year old Italian American man, and I read about Chiro and, you know, Nikki Castone, I'm reading it from their perspective. Whereas, you know, the women may be thinking about it from a different perspective. So then if I'm talking to my mom or my grandmother about the same book, it's a totally interesting conversation. And that's something that really, I haven't, you know, it, it struck home with me more with your books because, you know, there are a lot of Italian American stories and I can talk to my grandparents and my mom because they read your stuff and I read your stuff. So it was really interesting to me and being at your events surrounded by all these women, I just kept thinking to myself, like, I wonder how different books, like the perspective is. And that's why also when I reached out to you about some of the stuff in Kiss Carlo with the brothers and stuff, for me, it was... It was hitting home because I was thinking about it from the, that perspective. Well, it's, it's fascinating because it's about a man. It's a book about a man. It's a male protagonist. And some of the reviewers caught that and we'll talk about it, but it's not talked about. And of course, they say, well, you don't help your cause by putting that beautiful woman on the cover. Uh, why are you putting a woman in a ball gown on a cover? And of course, there's a reason because she's representing the whole Mamie Confalone farce story. And Louise Dahl Wolf, her photography, is a stunning and it's of the era and it conjures a, a mental picture for me. And Robin Villardello, who does my covers is uh, collaborative to the extreme, but she brings me things I can get excited about. She doesn't give me things that are not re related to my audience and to the subject of the book, which is crucial, but the book wouldn't sell if I put a man on it. Nobody mm. would know what to think. So because that's not my audience. And they said, well, you, you could expand your audience by what, three? Because my, the wives hand it to their husbands or the girlfriend hand it to the boyfriend. And that's sort of how it goes. But it's fascinating, isn't it? And I think, look, I am treated with such love and such respect. I don't fall into what am I not getting? I, I'm probably going to be dead when someone, whoever that man is, picks it up and goes, I'm going to give this to my son to read. I can't control that now. What my job is, is to produce the work and to present it to the best of my ability. And if in a yard sale in a hundred years, if they still exist, then there's no cover on it. And someone picks it up and happens to be a man. And he says, wow. And then they, they understand the depth of the male experience in my books. That would be wonderful. But if it doesn't happen now, it's okay. Right. The other thing is, let's let's talk about Kiss Carlo for a little bit. This is a story that happens in the 1940s in South Philadelphia. And the bigger theme is that there's um, a big Italian family uh, that has a, a cab company and ends up there's a fight between the brothers and they separate and the companies separate. And this is all stuff that you learn very early on in the book. And I think that right off the bat in that scenario is probably something that a lot of Italian Americans relate to. Because it's, you know, fights happening within families, people getting mad at each other and holding grudges. Oh, yeah, uh, I'll speak directly to it. 
I wanted to write this book because obviously it exists in my family, the island. Uh, people don't talk to you when they're angry at you or they think they you've screwed them over. Or it could be that you didn't thank them properly for a wedding gift or that their invitation to the confirmation lunch got lost in the mail and they thought mm -hmm. they were excluded. They didn't pick the phone up and go, hey, did my invitation get lost? Right, you know? yep. It can be a myriad of things. Then when someone dies and there's a will or no will and things get left and there's this, you know, then the accusations of you took the grandmom's spaghetti pot. And then the other one says, I was supposed to get that. And I was supposed to get this. And, you know, it turns into this thing about who loved who more. But at the root of it, of course, is money. And when these two brothers are all they have in the world and they're in business together. And, and I mean, it really, when you read the book, it's so beautifully described the two personalities their mother dies and they're sent from Italy to live with their dad in America. He went over to make money. His intention was not to live in America, but he was working at the Naval Yard, shipping yard in, in, um, uh, in, in South Philly and um, sending the money home. And his intention was to make enough money and then go home to build a house and then go home. And the father's a complicated character and he's the shadow of the book because I had to figure out and this is huge, Anthony and Dolores, because this is always the case with me. Like two days before they say, stop typing, stop writing, no more revisions. I have the epiphany of what something's really about. So deep in the book, towards the end, there's a scene with the two brothers. And in that scene, that scene was written probably two minutes before they started to press these things into books. And I figured it out. Don't give it away because it's it's a dynamite dynamite. I, piece I won't of the give book. it away, but it's really dynamite. But but the two brothers, there's a reason they are the way they are, and that they separated and they didn't speak to each other for twenty some years, twenty two years, which is the youth of their children. And each brother had three sons, and our character Nikki was adopted by the brother Dominic and his wife Joe when her sister died. And she had one kid and she died very young of cancer. And Nikki was five years old and he's always been the dutiful fourth wheel and the youngest. And he followed his cousins into the war. They all fought in the war both. And that's very Shakespearean, the duality of the sons on both sides. I, I just really, I followed the master. I love Shakespeare. And my, the first big thing I ever wrote, big play, full length play was called Notes from the Nile. It was at the Notre Dame St. Mary's Theater Department, and I was the first student to write and direct on the main stage of that theater department, which I am very, at this point in my life, as I head towards the dirt nap, very proud of because I'm a girl and I did it. I'm a girl, and that was an all-male institution for whatever, a couple hundred years, as was St. Mary's, an all-woman institution for a couple hundred years uh, when that happened, and uh, they put their faith in me, and I, that made me understand I could do this. So I rewrote the Cleopatra story, and that was much research. I live in the library and other places. And then with this, I wanted to take my collective experience of Shakespeare and write him, again, almost as a canopy over this thing. And so the brothers have this, the two brothers, it's a classic setup, really. But what, what deepens this is that I don't focus on that's the river upon which this boat sails, but the boat is Nicky Castone and what he's going to do. And his dilemma is neither male nor female. 
it's the human dilemma and the conundrum often if you're Italian, which is what am I going to do with my life? Because in an Italian family, and this is true of many ethnicities, I'm not going to limit it just to us, but to keep us close, they had us work together because they didn't want us to leave. And this, this Amer- it's an American concept that you leave home. That's not an Italian concept at all. If you go home no. to Italy now, my cousins live within 30 seconds of their moms, and they marry in their village. They, the ties bind, and the ties remain. In America, we Italian-Americans, we have our enclave, but I felt very free, even though there were emotional constraints, of course, and ties that many of them very positive. But I was free, really, to do whatever I wanted with my life. I don't think it's true of the men. I think that the Italian-American men don't don't get that. And Italian-American women will argue, yeah, but we end up being the servants and we have to do all the work and everything. And that's very true, too. It can be in families. But for the men, they have to carry the baggage in a way that I was free not to. I wasn't going to accept that I had to do something else with my life just because it made sense or it was practical. Okay. So an Italian man raised in a a traditional home as I was, my brothers were not free. I can't speak for them. And this is my observation. And I adore both of my brothers, but one of my brothers acted in the Big Stone Gap movie, but he doesn't do acting full time. And the other brother writes this glorious music and you can hear him singing and his compositions in the Big Stone Gap movie. He's so brilliantly gifted. And that's Michael and Carlo is acts and he's stupendous. And the reason I got involved in theater in the first place was because I took Carlo to rehearsals. He acted in community theater when he was a kid. So kind of owe them because they were the performing artists, really, that kind of pulled me into the world. And then that's where I could sit rehearsal after rehearsal and watch directors dissect scenes. I, I kind of got my training there and then went off to study it. But they were never, I don't think, they, they never got the risk that I, I, I will throw everything away. I'm never afraid of that. If you said, you're going to lose everything, I go, so what? I really don't care about that. Therefore, it comes to me for some reason. Well, it's a nothing to lose attitude, right? You have nothing to lose. You're just going after it and that's it. Yeah. And if you're an artist and a writer in an Italian family, it's it's tough because there's built into our our DNA that you don't put your business in the street. Well, a book is putting all of it in the street, all of it. So you, you, you're laid bare, really. And I'm sensing really in the last couple of years that the Italian-American audience specifically is getting a little bit better about understanding that this is fiction. Because, you know, what's so beautiful about our people is that they understand that our memories and those moments that we experienced in our youth, it's like ashes of roses now, you know, and they have a book to hold where that meal is described or those scents of that kitchen are alive somewhere. And that means something to them. And it matters because it means, I think, we were here. I think this idea of stories on that people are engaging with them is, I mean, let's be honest, in the world we live in today, we need stories like the stories that you're writing and other stories. I just had this conversation with the, uh, I teach this creative writing group and we we're just talking about this last night. Is that you do? I didn't even know that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I didn't do. know it either. Anthony. It's like another that. project. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Okay. <laughs> well, Anthony's like, 
Anthony's like, he wears so many hats. It's so crazy. It's great. Well, I mean, anyway, we're having this conversation and this woman wrote this beautiful piece and um, we read it in the group and a couple of people are just like, you know, when you turn on the news today, everything you're seeing is like terrible. And that's why like books and stories, people can really hold on to them and, and get into them. And I think that is sometimes when people want them to be real because they don't want to see the other things that are going on. And so that's what I think is the beauty of, you know, and especially with the stories that you're writing about. Adrian. I mean, sure, they have ups and downs in the books at times, but, you know, they're positive themes. And for Italian-Americans, like you said, when they read about the dinners in your books and the people getting together, for them, that's like, that takes them back there, just like they tell us with the podcast. And when people can go back to those happy times, it's powerful. Well, it's good to read about human things. When you watch the news, I know it's real, but it's also very, it's just on a different level. When you bring it back down to the story of you and your brothers, you and your mother, you sitting down at the table, you cooking pasta, you do, you know, these things that are real everyday lives. Like it just gives you a sense of wholeness and a little bit of peace in a, like a crazy, crazy world. Yeah, exactly. And like for me, when I read Kiss Carlo, like I said, I'm, I'm going through the book the whole time and I'm feeling like I'm Nikki, right? I'm getting into the character and I'm experiencing in that way. And that's taking me on this pretty interesting and fun trip. And that's what makes it so easy to read. And I can't believe the part you talked about before at the end that you wrote that at the end, just so like, you know, you kind of did it at the end. That was crazy that you said that, but I guess. Well, you know, actually, after you work on something for a few years, I have books that come out every year, but I work on these things over the course of time, you know, which is really important. And I think that I really ruminate for a very long time, and then and then when I get it, I really get it. It takes me a while because I'm not always the sharpest one in the room, but um, when I get it, I really – it's almost it's – it, it is an epiphany. I go, okay, well, now, now I got it. I understand why they could not speak to each other. And there's also something that's really important here for Italian-Americans, which is we're members of a – uh, usually our faith is the Holy Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, and we believe in the afterlife. And we have, we even have like a ladder that we understand degrees of sin, which is so interesting in light of all that's going on in the world, because it's almost interesting to me, however you feel about your faith or the structure of an institution, they sort of have been there before to dissect stuff like the levels of, say, sexual harassment have already been discussed, mortal, venial, which is, you know. But the idea of the afterlife means this. If your father's not talking to his brother and your father dies, and they were in a fight, right, and maybe over money, well, it could be that the surviving brother might feel bad, but he doesn't feel too bad because he knows he's going to see his brother again. Yeah. So actually feuds are like they're of this world, but they still love each other. And if you put a gun to their head, they go, I love him, but I don't want to talk to him because I'm so yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's insane on some level. And I have attempted in my own life to eradicate this nonsense, but I'm on the island with people too. So it's like I wave from the island. I even send mail from the island. And then you get tired on the island and you give up. Mm. And you just go, okay, they don't want to talk to me, fine. Then you accept it, but it is so Italian. And I can't fight the river since the Etruscans. I can't do it. And it's not going to happen. I'm not going to change it. 
and not changing it is not accepting it. It, it really isn't acceptance of what I think is wrong. It, it, I can't accept it, but I love them and wish them the, oh, what am I going to do? I cannot change it. And the stories around that are very funny about trying to change it because you can't have a meeting. You can't bring an expert. No, they don't want any of that. Oh yeah. No, forget it. Like a mediator. Yeah. Oh, they don't want to pass. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Stranger. Who is this person to us? Seriously. How does it, I don't know her. (laughs) Well, she's a doctor. Well, what kind of a doctor? A doctor for bleeding from the head? No, I don't think so. Right. What are you crazy? Bring, you brought a doctor to fix this? (laughs) Oh, this person now, now everybody's good enough. Right. Okay. Everybody does know. And that's why we want to fix it. Oh, well. It's the other side of the coin. You know, it's, 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 uh, I mean, the best I can come up with is if you have a culture and a people that are very loving and passionate and they're so close knit, there's the other side of the coin. And that is at the same intensity and at the same level that, being close, right, can explode. And that being, you know, uh, passionate can explode in in a dark light. That's where it comes from, for sure, because people are so passionate about family and being together and doing everything that if someone attempts to throw that off, then they go passionate the other direction. So that's definitely. Yeah, I mean, I know tons of people that, you know, they'll fight for like, they won't talk for five years, then they'll make up and then they get so close again, like the family. And then it's inevitable. That happens all the time. Yeah. It's inevitable. They're going to, they're going to not talk for another five, 10 years. That's right. They, they can't keep it. at just like, you know what? We're talking now. Let's not, you know, let's not go crazy and be having espresso over each other's house every day. No, it, there's no middle ground. You know what I mean? It's like one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. That's right. No middle ground ever. That's <laughs> important to note. Well, Adriana is on the road as usual. We want to take too much of her time, but Adriana, before we let you go, can you tell us what either is coming or what you're working on or what some things people can expect? I know you have some things going on, right? You always do. I do. I'm working on a new novel and this one's really a wonderful story about two families in a marriage. It's about two kids that meet when they're young and they go in, uh, a boy and a girl, and they're Italian-American, and they go into the same business. And it's what happens when their roles emerge, when the roles of uh, the, the male-female thing happens, and masculine-feminine, and mother-father, all the whole thing. That's so good. And that comes out next year, and uh, I'll come, I'm sure, oh, sure going to come and talk about it. And, then, and I'm working on some movies, which I'm excited about. I'm also going to release... Queens of the Big Time, the documentary that came out 21 years ago, which I cannot even believe. Wow. I had to kind of do some work on the music, too, because there was some famous music in it, and I had to, like, mean, a.k.a. expensive. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so Michael, my brother Michael went in and wrote some new music that is just extraordinary, and that's the story of Rosetta, Pennsylvania, the town where no one died of heart attacks, and in right. case Carlo... That beautiful little Italian-American enclave that Nikki Castone goes to. And then to have his epiphany. So that's coming up. And I'm going to release that. And it's so exciting because now I have platforms that I can release it and just directly to the consumer, which I'm so excited about. Right to the reader. Yeah, that's awesome. I said, yes, I'm busy. Well, we always love having you. Thank you for spending some time with us again. And, you know, we do wish you really happy holidays with your family. And if there's an opportunity, try to 
rest a few minutes here and there. <laughs> oh, yes. I do rest. You need I, to. I actually really do. I'm a big sleeper. You know, if I can do eight hours a night, I'm a happy girl. Oh, my gosh. Me too. I need my sleep. I need it. <laughs> I mean, just do. It's important. Get your sleep and take your vitamins. Adriana says. <laughs> All right. Well, Adriana, your website is adrianatrigiani.com, correct? Yes, it is. And it's really fun to join me on Facebook. I know very little about Facebook, except I answer all the queries when I can. I do Facebook Live a little bit here and there, but it's just join me on Facebook. It's Adriana Trajani fan page. I do a lot of giveaways there. Right now we have the re-edition of Cooking with My Sisters. And for my in-school writing project in Appalachia, which is why I'm in Big Stone Gap right now, the Origin Project, I'm about to do a bunch of holiday lipsticks with my girls from Rhode Island. I'm rolling those out next week. Yeah, so it's fun. Awesome. Well, check out Adriana at adrianatrigiana.com for all of her her books and her events and get on Facebook and connect with her. She is very active on it. And uh, Adriana, happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you so much. And and my love and happiest holidays to Anthony, your family, and Dolores, to yours, the Fasanos, the Alfieri's, and everybody within the sound of our voices. Have a glorious holiday season. No fighting, <laughs> no island, no biting. Amen. And if you get the potpourri that has no scent and it's a re-gift, just accept it and move forward. <laughs> Don't hold a grudge and don't turn it into an island event. Exactly. Words is words. Deal with it. It is now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations. We try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted. And today I'm going to do something a little bit different is I'm going to actually bring my relatives onto the podcast for the story segment, which are my two brothers, Mike and Chris. So I'm the oldest, then Chris, then Mike, and um, we're going to be just talking a little bit about the holidays. This is obviously Thanksgiving weekend that we published this episode. We've got the big holidays, Christmas Eve, Christmas, New Year's all coming up, times to get together with family. And while these are fun times for Italian-American families, they can also be stressful. So we're just going to talk a little bit about that. What's up, guys? What's What's up, man? What's going on, Italian-American world? Yeah, it's nice to be here. It's the time of the year that people kind of get going in this community. You got a lot of big food holidays. You got a lot of hanging out with big families. I don't know. I mean, it's a good thing about Italian American families is that they can come together on the holidays and these holidays make Sunday dinners look like a picnic. Yeah, no, like they're nothing. I know. But you got to get to the dinner. And that's always been in the Italian uh, world that we grew up. That was always the fun part, getting to the dinner, where we were going to go to celebrate the holiday who was going to be there where am i supposed to go i remember i remember like being i don't know if you guys remember this but i remember hearing mom and dad and just having these arguments about this i remember this like vividly right you remember and they were like where are we going we were at, we were at this side and we we're going to be at this side and i'm thinking as a kid like what, what, what are they talking about you know because you don't really think about it you just you just go in the car and end up at a meal but there's coordinating that goes into that but how, how did how did they stay organized all those years? Think about it. You had grandma, grandpa. Then there was six of them, siblings, with their significant others. Then there was 19 of us. Yeah, I have no idea. 
you know, how they know where, and, and in our culture, there's just more than the basic holidays. Then we got Holy Saturday, Good Friday, and, and we're always coming together for those holidays. So keeping that organized, I don't know how they did it, but we did it, right? No, I mean, and the thing is, when you're a kid, you just show up, right? You just show up and right. you eat easy, bro. and you see your cousins and you hang out. <clears throat> That's the cool part about it, which is cool. But then once you go off and get married, then, you know, the whole situation starts again and we're all married. We have kids and, you know, obviously we have in-laws and there's all things that factor into the holidays and, you know, it becomes stressful and it becomes to the point where you like the holidays, but there are certain things about the holidays that you don't want to deal with. I know when it comes to figuring out who's hosting and who's getting what and who's bringing what, we typically get a text message from our dad, like literally six months in advance, like easily. <laughs> yeah, no, that's generous, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are we, what are you doing we, this we year? In fact, What's going we on? in fact have a live Google spreadsheet that's right. right now that has, if you want to know where the three of us will be on Christmas or Christmas Eve for the next, I believe five years, uh, I can share with you the spreadsheet cause it's on there. And I think aunt was the one who cut it off after five years and said that he couldn't commit to anything longer than five, I mean, five, five. Where am I going to be in five years? I don't even know. I mean, I hope I'll be in Italy that, somewhere. That, in five that's years. exactly the point. Right. I, that's a point. Things change, you know, and you try to keep tradition. You try to go and you, you have so many places to be and you want to be everywhere and you can't. The holidays, as quick as they come, they go. So you, you forget about them. And then when you have to think about them again, you don't remember what, what, what you did. So that it actually becomes a problem in our life. It's not, it's funny. But it becomes a real problem because there are genuine times where we just don't know what's happening. And that's real. And I'm sure other people out there know what we're talking about. And we also are lucky enough to have three of our our four grandparents still alive, which is great. But again, those are also we want to visit them on the holidays and you want to you know go by them. So it's a lot. There's a lot going on. And so earlier in the episode, you heard about the holidays app. This is an app that Mike and Chris built, which is really out of a <laughs> trying to solve a problem, which is <laughs> the, frustration, the problem yeah. that we're talking about, which is getting the text from dad the day after Christmas saying, who's hosting next year? <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out what we're going to do. And they talked about the idea of having an app and they, and they went ahead and built it. So why don't you guys talk about how that came about? I think Mike was trying to push this idea onto someone mm-hmm. who was willing to run with it with him for a yeah. bit. Because I remember him saying... What if you had an app, man? Like we would get into these arguments to see it's the perfect idea for an app. Like you just need Always. an app to do it. I, and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. And then do it again and again and again. And then finally, Mike is like, we need to make this app. And then we said, OK. And so when do we start this now? It was the spring last spring. Yeah, it was the spring. So we've been working on it for the spring. It just rolled out. And essentially, it's simple. It's a journal. It's a journal for your holidays. It will prompt you. What's cool about it, it prompts you at the start of what holidays you celebrate. So upon user registration, it's a one-time prompt. You just check off simply the holidays that you normally celebrate. Thanksgiving, and, Christmas Eve, Easter, yeah, and whatever. You just click All the them. way through Passover, Diwali. I mean, any. I mean, it, it, it kind of covers a lot of different holidays out there. So the thing about it is... We wanted one place that with at the touch of a finger, you could just go back and reference where you were, who you celebrated with, photos from the day, all at the touch of your finger, but tips, because Chris, we've talked about this a million times. When we want to try to solve that problem that we've been talking about of where we're trying to be this year and where we were last year, the only way to do that is to A, remember if you can, and if not, you have to kind of sort through Facebook or photos. Yeah, like what was I, I remember what I was wearing. I can maybe find a picture of me on maybe. last Thanksgiving. And if I see Ant in the picture, then I know I'm with Ant. Like this is things that we used to do. Right. But now I just have all the photos. Everything is in, in one nice place. And the beauty of it is all of the user, users and holidays, they could be, if you will, tagged 
in that moment. So I celebrated with Ann and Mike, their holiday users. Now they'll have access to my moment and my pictures. So it kind of, it brings you together and it also documents and stamps it in the past. So you can always know where you were, who you were with and what, what people did in, 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 in media format and pictures. And you can share it to Facebook and stuff, right? Yeah, you can share it to Facebook. And if they don't have the app, they'll be able to download it from that sharing prompt. Some of these apps out there, to be honest with you, like I'm not too big into apps, but for Mike and I, this app had to work. Whatever happens with this app happens, we're using it because it's it, we wanted it to solve our problem. So like, right. it was really important for us that this thing works. And last night, we were playing with it and we were pumped, man. Like it's cool. Like it really works. And so we're excited for everybody to go, go give it a shot and stop bugging out about stop the, the frustration. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. It's just, it's just, get rid of one thing at least. Stop the guessing hmm. game. Yeah. All right. So you could check out this app that Mike and Chris built at holidays That's the word holidays spelled H O L I D A Z E app ios.com and the easiest thing to do is just google holidays and hopefully you find it useful i think it is going to help people to de-stress a little bit not having to try to figure out where they have to go every holiday every year i've been on the interface and using it it's very easy to use so again i hope you'll check that out at holidays app ios.com thanks for coming on guys yeah thanks for having us thanks for having us we hope you enjoyed this episode we certainly enjoyed recording it it was great to have dolores back on we were kind of together again which was fun (laughs) and uh i hope you enjoyed the thanksgiving weekend with your family this is a weekend to obviously just kind of lounge a little bit after eating too much and hang out and i hope you enjoyed that and now i'm going to kick it over to dolores who hasn't been a while but she's going to take us out Okay, Amici, if you like the show and if you've listened this long, we think that you do, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, which is a huge help for us to get the show out. You can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Italian American. We're on Twitter at ITelAmerican. And we're on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. A presto! A presto!